Hi there, I'm Alan O'Neill, and you are listening to CSR Connect, the Optimi podcast, a place to discuss CSR, corporate goodness, and all things social purpose. On the third episode of Optimize CSR Connect, we discuss how social movements are connected with corporate social responsivity and how CSR can be a powerful tool for social integration. Can I be an activist and can I go and support um, a piece of activism that I believe in as part of my volunteering time? To talk about such an important topic, we reached out to two experienced CSR professionals. Jerome Tenil, a DC-based consultant who has been working on architecting social good for eight years now. You might remember him from our last podcast episode. And from London, Andrea Gavison, the CEO of Social Starters, an organization that mobilizes corporate workforces to share business skills with social entrepreneurs and helping them to be more sustainable. She was also named one of 2019's top 100 women in social enterprise by NatWest Wise 100. During a conversation with them, they both shared their interesting perspective on how social integration and CSR can be connected. I think when we think about the, the protests in the wake of George Floyd's death, um, you know, somebody, you know, I was on a panel um, a couple of weeks ago and somebody said something to the effect of, you know, this is the drop of water that broke the dam. Um, you know, these racial injustices have been happening for a long time in our country for about 400 years in other countries for much longer. And so it's something that's not even unique to the United States. And so I think this is the opportunity beyond here in America to really focus on, you know, creating that change, but like on a global scale, um, because this isn't unique. This is not a unique problem to, to the United States. Now, how does this matter with corporate responsibility or just doing responsible business? Well, I think the for-profit sector, you know, has a great influence, right? We are all consumers. We all work for a company or an organization that has some amount of influence. Um, larger companies that have more revenue, they have a massive amount of influence. Um, some companies have tens of thousands or even hundreds of thousands of employees uh, that work for them. Um, and through the multi, you know, multi-million or multi-billion dollars in revenue, they also have a tremendous amount of political influence. And I think companies have a responsibility to um, be as diverse and equitable and inclusive of workplaces as they, as they can, um, understanding that the people who work there, I mean, we're the ones who make up the company. But then I think the other part, the other part of that too is um, also understanding as a company, you exist in these very communities that are um, experiencing a lot of this um, injustice. And you can be a part of the problem or you can be a part of the solution. That was Jerome Tenille talking straight from Washington, DC. On the other side of the globe, Andrea Gamson also believes that the crisis of inequality is felt and experienced by many. There are many challenges 
within the corporate world, um, particularly within certain sectors like um, you know, law and finance and architecture, even um, accounting, they're still predominantly white middle class male um, environments. But that's not to say that they're not working hard to redress that that challenge for sure. Um, but the problem is still um, vast. Um, and as you look down, you know, the value chain of talent development, there's an issue, um, even if you take, for example, girls going into STEM, I was just having this conversation with somebody who's training lots of young girls to become software developers. Um, and, you know, you've, you've almost got to start at the bottom end of the talent development cycle so that the talent is there because you can't hire you can't hire females in, you know, into certain roles if there's if there's only one female for every forty man applying for, you know, for that for that job. So, so there are there are problems that are systemic that go well beyond just um, unconscious bias, if that's what we're insinuating here. But um, it's been an age-old problem, you know. If let's just take the books publishing industry, for example. Um, when you look at the top 100 best-selling books um, in certain um, prestigious lists, you know, 80 of those books might well be written by men. Um, and is it a coincidence that the majority of uh, books reviewers in, in the mainstream leading publications are males? Is it, you know, a coincidence that the majority of the, um, you know, people at the books publisher signing the deals are male? Um, so, you know, we're dealing within within many sectors, these challenges, um, but I think, uh, you know, perhaps this has been the year of diversity, if you will, um, or at least identifying or highlighting or reminding the world that the problem is systemic um, when we talk about diversity, broadly speaking, um, you know, perhaps, perhaps in the next few years, we're going to see um, some of these challenges being redressed by uh, positive discrimination, which is not a term I've ever particularly enjoyed until I heard a few weeks back somebody say that we need positive discrimination um, until until we have equality. How can one start being part of the solution, you might ask? Well, Andrea has a few tips for us. Um, so um, you, you essentially pop on your CSR hat and if you don't have a department, um, or a team of people dedicated to it within your organization, you can well put yourself forward to become the first person to do that. Um, and if you do that, then you know just hit the internet and start Googling. And there are certain um, tools and frameworks out there that can get you to audit um, opportunities within your organization. Um, but if your organization is more sophisticated than that, then um, you know there may well be an exec team around it. Um, your, your CSR or sustainability or community development team may well um, have their hands full and may be very happy to have willing volunteers um, supporting and helping a few extra hours a week, either in their own time or if they're allowed to during their, their work time. Um, and so there's lots of brilliant things that you can do to just focus on human capital, because if you can increase productivity, um, or let's say if you can boost happiness and fulfillment of your work as you increase productivity, then there's another ring around that. So if you're imagining this as like a, you know, a donut or a, um, a bullseye even around that, then you've got the community. And so you start to look outside in the immediate community around where your organization is based and really understand the challenges, you know, the socioeconomic challenges that are in that community, um, who's struggling, what type of organizations trying to do good things, 
um, you know, and you can pull that together, even create a report maybe, and then give that to one of your, one of the directors in your organization and build a business case for why maybe your organization needs to support this particular cause. And then there's a global sphere or a ring around all of that. Um, and within global, this is, you know, how does your, it's asking the questions, how does your organization impact positively or negatively um, or neutrally even on a global level? And when you start to um, unpack what that means, and when you look down the supply chain, um, or look at this, even just looking at suppliers that you know you're using within your specific department, and asking the questions, you know, what is the you know positive or negative impact that we're creating as a result of how we're choosing to work and the systems that we're creating? Then I think the rest of how you answer that question starts to follow. In fact, volunteering, even inside of one's own company seems to be a popular way of starting to slowly engage people with social causes. Yeah, so I think the human connection, right? When we volunteer, we connect with other humans. And I think it's, um, it's a big part of, of bridging that divide. Uh, the, the last thing I'll say on it is, you know, beyond that human connection, um, what most people don't immediately identify as volunteer engagement is protesting. All right, peaceful protesting. And we're seeing a lot of that right now. Uh, a lot of people, they look at that and they're like, well, it's advocacy, it's activism. Well, yeah, of course it is, but it's an informal way in many cases of, of volunteering. And it's one of the strongest ways to uh, demonstrate uh, your civic engagement as a citizen and um, one of the strongest forms of democracy. Um, and so when we even think about the actions of volunteering, and what type of change that brings. Think about the, the peaceful protests and the millions of people who are, who are out there um, championing uh, social change. But Andrea seems to have a more cautious approach to the idea of protesting as a form of volunteering. Ooh, yeah, that's a controversial one um, because um, you've got to ask yourself, what is the output and the outcome? of that volunteer experience because volunteering is an impact creation right it's impact um, and needs to be monitored and evaluated and so how does a firm who's offering out vol volunteering time to its employees measure the impact that's created from that type of experience essentially you're saying can i be an activist and can I go and support um, a piece of activism that I believe in as part of my volunteering time? Um, you know, my I have my personal opinions around that, but they're also open to being swayed. Um, I haven't spent loads of time thinking about it. Um, but if I was um, a director in a firm and someone came to me and asked me if they could go protesting as part of their volunteering time, and it is different to what traditional volunteering is. So I think it does raise some really important questions, really interesting ones. And I'd, I'd very much love to hear both sides of the debate by people who feel very passionate about it. Um, but, you know, the initial, the initial reaction by many, I, I imagine, would be that that isn't volunteering. Why do you think it's not volunteering? <laughs> you've, got, you've got to ask yourself if, you know, what are the outputs and the outcomes of that experience and can you measure them? Indeed, the combination of CSR and political issues can be complicated. But according to Andrea, many times political situations can undeniably have an effect on social good projects. Brexit, for example, has been impacting many projects in the UK. 
Well, there are a significant number of projects funded by the EU, and so there's there's a huge impact there because that funding's um, coming to an end. Um, and there are lots of towns and areas within the UK that were lower socioeconomic and in need of huge regeneration that were receiving EU funds to, to bolster and, and boost those areas. So that's that's a real shame. We will feel that loss. Um, I'm sure the numbers are in, you know, the hundreds of millions, um, if not billions. So that's going to be a big problem. But what does it present? It presents an opportunity for UK based firms to try and plug that gap and to step in and um, to dig deep, even though it's challenging times. Um, because, you know, everything's about community, isn't it? CSR, um, you know, is is community, it's sustainability, um, it's, um, it's, it's about survival of the fittest, isn't it? And so um, we're much, we're going to be much fitter together as a, as a collective society. Um, so I would like corporate philanthropy to um, really focus on, um, you know, our, on home soil and, um, and, and invest in those who are, um, you know, making a really big difference and can evidence their impact in the community. Jerome points out that this positive change can start slowly and that it's a long journey. And I think that positive change, what we're seeing right now, it exists on a spectrum. On one end of the spectrum, you have companies that will be um, perceived and judged as not doing enough. These are the companies that don't call out races, racism for what it is, don't acknowledge the black community's suffering, and then in the middle of the spectrum, you have companies that will call out racism for what it is. They'll proclaim Black Lives Matter. And then they will also say, we must and we can and will do more. And then you have on the far end of the spectrum, you have companies that will do all of that. But then they're, they're going to have um, uh, publicly transparent goals on what they're going to do. Um, they're going to create um, a feedback mechanism where they're able to listen to their, their employees and their associates and their concerns. Um, they're going to create town halls where these conversations, these really tough and uncomfortable sometimes conversations can be had. Um, they are going to, in some instances, shift the type of organizations that they support, in some cases, supporting more that are around um, racial inclusion and, and racial justice. Uh, and I also think that um, a lot of these companies will seek diversity and inclusion expertise. And I think we're already seeing that. If you go on to Indeed.com or Sim Simply Hired or Glassdoor, you're going to see that like every third post is a diversity and inclusion position. As usual, our podcast is way too short for too many great ideas. So if you would like to hear more from Jerome Tanil, you can get in touch with him. So folks can connect with me directly um, on my website. Uh, it's www.jerometanil.com. And um, I have a social impact and sustainability blog called Responsible AF. And um, I'm always seeking to connect with other like-minded uh, uh, persons out there. And so uh, if you would like to connect, I would invite you to, to visit my website. And if you're interested in knowing more about Andrea's work, 
please follow me on Twitter at Andrea Gamson. Um, I'm also on LinkedIn and um, our website is www.socialstarters.org. Um, there's a page on there for anybody who's interested in exploring what um, talent redistribution for good could be, and that's on our corporate page. We will be back next month to continue this conversation on how purpose-driven organizations can take the lead and create a bigger positive impact in this world. Until then, take care of yourself. This podcast is produced by Optimai. This episode was produced by Cecilia Kashikini and edited by Santiago Atarala. If you like this podcast, you can also join the Optimai community at optimai.com.